Artemis has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only for our trade, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great god Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worthy? When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companion from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is atomized of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of our image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to come down and do and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and they are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal, legal assembly. As it is, we are, in we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we will not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mercy. Um, if you can have your Bibles out to Acts 19, we're going through the sermon series uh, that goes through um, Acts, um, the latter half of the Acts. Um, but I forgot to make an announcement. Um, our church has been growing in different ways, and one way that it's been growing is that people are having babies. Um, Mary had a baby, and this past uh, Tuesday, it was uh, Samson and Rebecca who welcomed Kaleo um, to their family. So please do welcome Kaleo into our church family and, and to them. <laughs> Encourage them in their um, life as a new, uh, newly... Um, yeah, minted father and mother. But let's pray um, that God will speak to us uh, this morning. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks um, that you are God who called us into 
um, your light um, by your word. And Lord, we pray now that you would build us up and make us ready to face anything that the world would give us, that we would be a people who, who bear witness to your great name um, in the times that are good, um, but also in the times that are challenging. Tru- uh, we pray that you'll speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A while back, my father was tried for heresy by Anglican Church um, in the U.S. It's a longish story that I don't want to get into, but uh, what I want to say here is that uh, it was started by the husband of a woman who started to tithe um, in the church. Before she gave 10% of her income, her husband was actually quite supportive of her going to church. I would say that he was friendly uh, towards church members. But when her faith made an impact in her pocketbook, in how she spends the money, he found the church quickly problematic, and he talked to the right people. My father was tried and found not guilty. But it is often that way, isn't it? Christians are tolerated, maybe even encouraged to be Christians until their faith becomes, well, maybe a bit too public, a a bit too radical, a bit too different uh, from the world. It happens in my dad's church, and then we see it happening throughout the book of Acts, and we see it happening in Acts 19. Today is the Lunar New Year. When we say, um, when, we, when we wish each other, wishing you happiness and prosperity, and I do wish that for you, prosperity and happiness for this year, but I, at the same time, I want to warn you, Uh, This year and beyond, to expect difficulties, expect persecution. If we are Christ followers, um, persecution might come. But live radically anyway, because that is the call that we're given. And that trust that God who has called you to himself will deliver you out of trouble. Expect persecution. Of course, Christians... I want to begin by saying Christians have been guilty of persecuting other people. And when we have done so, we need to go back and repent, because that is not the way of Jesus, and we need to do better. But it also has been true that Christians throughout centuries and throughout history, throughout geography, all all, all over the world, Christians have been persecuted for different reasons. You might ask, well, why should I be persecuted? Well, I'm a pretty likable person. I get along with people. I haven't really had to face anything quite yet. Why should I be? Why should I expect to be persecuted? Well, this text, uh, Acts 19, I think tells us a few reasons why we should expect to be persecuted. The first one is money. Money. Last week, as we saw... Uh, those who had been converted, those who had practiced sorcery, came and burned all their books and these spells and things like that publicly. And the problem was that it, this threatened their economy. Ephesus was um, dominated by the, by the cult of Diana or cult of Artemis. The people there believed that this meteorite had fallen bearing Diana's image. If you look at verse 35, you get a hint of that. And that they built uh, this uh, image of Diana, uh, image of Artemis, and made a huge temple of Artemis. Ephesus was known for the temple of Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders 
of, um, of ancient world. It dominated the skyline of the city. It was known throughout the ancient world that people from all over that world came and visited this temple. You see, it was an engine to the city's economy. So Demetrius, who made a living by selling these images, silver shrines of Artemis, gathered his friends. Verse 25, you know, friends, we have received a good income from this business. But Paul goes on to say that gods, Paul says gods who are made by human hands are no gods at all. Verse 26. Read between the, between the lines. What will happen if this continues? What if, what if this isn't just burning scrolls? What if this spreads? What will happen to our livelihood? How will we make money? Money is one of the main reasons why Christians are persecuted around the world. Money is still the reason around the world. When the temperance movement, the movement to stop drinking in England, spread, Salvation Army was targeted by the pubs and, and, and the people who made a living by selling alcohol. You could say even the American Civil War was about Christian conscience that uh, quickened because of the second Great Awakening running against a whole economy that's built on slavery. And such trouble and such trouble happens in smaller scale all around the world. The friends, faith that affects our pocketbook uh, will invite mistreatment. But often people don't just say, "I mis- want to uh, ostracize you because of the way that you spend money." No, that's too crass. Uh, it's not really about the money. So Demetrius says, he quickly adds in verse 27, well, it's about Artemis. It's about the honor of our God and her fame. So Christians are persecuted in the name of other gods, other religions. I've talked to pastors in Sri Lanka who were beaten up by Buddhist monks. Um, in, uh, a past, I've pastored a Muslim student upon conversion who was promptly disowned by her parents. This past December, Christian homes across 20 villages in India were burnt and raised by Hindu nationalists. Of course, there are secular people whose fervor is religious. They tolerate everyone except Christians who are vocal about their beliefs in Jesus and in their views. Expect persecutions from other religions, other religious uh, people. And the text shows yet another reason, racism. Take a look at verse 33. As the mob forms and people join in, a Jew named Alexander, Alexander, he wants to speak. Uh, We're not sure, actually, who this Alexander is and why he wants to speak. We're not told. But this is what, most likely, uh, this person wanted to distance himself and Judaism from Christianity. And to say, actually, even though you're persecuting them, Jews are not like them. But as soon, look, as it's known that he is a Jew, what do they do in verse 34? They started all shouting in unison for the first two hours. First, uh, first two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You see, they ostracize him. They persecute him because he's Jewish. And often racism Nationalism gets mixed up with religion, doesn't it? Uh, to be Thai is to be a Buddhist. Uh, to be Indian is to be a Hindu. People blend ethnicity, race, and religion together, and they persecute Christians and others in the name of the religion, um, in the name of the uh, nationalism. 
Unfortunately, I think this is happening um, in Christian countries like the U.S. with the rise of Christian nationalism. People oppose each other on national pride, on the grounds of national pride, a racial a sense of racial superiority. My God is better than your God. Christianity is a Western religion. Expect persecutions. But there are, uh, these are, I think, some of the reasons found uh, in this text. But there, I think, is a fourth reason, which is actually for no reason at all. Verse 32, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most people did not even know why they were there. Some people just join in in the mob. Some people persecute because they like joining for no reason at all. And the question is, are we ready for persecution? Have you thought about how you would handle it? If you're passed over in promotion, if you're ostracized by your friends, um, openly opposed because you are a follower of Jesus, have you thought about how you would react? Jesus said, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You know what this says is that persecution is not for some special Christians. Some Christians who are out there who are very fervent about their faith. This is for all Jesus, all of Jesus' followers. If we follow Jesus and his way, we will stand out and we will suffer as a result. So what can we do to prepare ourselves for it? Well, first of all, think about it. Think about how you would react to some of these things. Maybe you have experienced some of these things in the past, and maybe you can go back and go, how did I react? What did I do well here? And what did I not do well? And how could I respond more in godly way? Maybe you could reflect on that. Maybe it's just a prayer that you need to say before you go home today to say, God, please help me. In the future, if I face anything like this, help me to be faithful. Help me to be gracious. Help me to forgive. Help me to be firm in my faith. Or maybe it need, you need to think about the cross and what Jesus has done for you so that you can forgive even those who are hating you for no reason at all. Or maybe you can go back and think about the resurrection and the confidence we have in Jesus. Maybe go back to your prayer diary. So when the times of persecution comes, you can be confident that Jesus is living he has acted in the past. He is with you now that he will give you confidence when that day comes. Friends, be ready for these things. Don't get caught off guard. And also live radically. Live differently from the world. This past week, I also had a conversation with somebody who was involved in a church that was and, and uh, is going through some scandals. And I wonder what I asked her well, what that was like. She said that the experience was a mixed bag. The church was great in many ways. And one way that th this church was great was that it was great for newcomers. People were not yet Christians to come and visit. But then she then quickly go on to say, maybe I wonder why it was so easy, why it was so easy to invite non-Christians to the church. Maybe that church wasn't that different from the rest of the world. I can't comment on that particular church, but take a look at verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. 
about the way. You see, Christianity is not just something that you believe. It is a way of life. And when you follow the way of Jesus, it will come across uh, the different ways of the world. And it will cause disturbance because we should be different. We should live differently in this world. Many of us haven't faced any outward suffering or persecution because of our faith. And I wonder one of the, if, if, if one of the reasons is because we don't live in the way of Jesus. Because we don't live radically as Jesus did. And the way of Jesus will get us into, out into the world. Paul, Paul, Paul's first stop in um, any city was synagogue. He went to the religious community there. But he didn't stay there, did he? He went to the market in Athens. He went to the rivers uh, in Philippi. He went and rented uh, this theater um, in Ephesus. He went into the world. If we believe in Jesus and we want to share this good news, we will go out into the world. And I think one of the problems that we often face as Christians is we live in this holy huddle, surrounded by Christians, and with all our activities being Christians, and we don't have opportunities to be different from the world because we're surrounded by Christians. Maybe that's one of the reasons. We should go out there. We should live in the world. Once again, also think about all the reasons why people were persecuted in this text. Money. Are we radical in this regard? Do we buy the same thing, endorse the same thing, sell the same things as the people in the world? Are we devoted to the God of money? as other people are, who demand so much sacrifice of time and family and all these other things from your life? Are we just devoted just, as, just, as, uh, just like everybody else? What if our worship of Jesus loosened our devotion to our work, to our corporations, to the, play, to the people uh, where people make money? What if it led us to more honest accounting practices? What if it led to more honest sales practices? What if it led us to spend less on social um, events so that we can be more generous in the important things? Will, Will that not have any consequence in our life, in the way that we live? Won't we be ostracized by some? Have we ever been ostracized or suffered also because of our beliefs as Christians. The gospel of Jesus really is a sweet medicine to those who know that they are sick, those who know that there's something wrong in them that they cannot fix. And so when Jesus offers healing, it is, it, it's sweet, uh, it, it is salvation. But it, the flip side of that, that it, it's offensive to people who think that they don't need Jesus, that their, their lives are okay, and they are doing well by themselves. But because the message is, no, you are a sinner in need of dire help of Jesus, that Jesus needs to come into your life and save you. That's an offensive message. How about the exclusive claims of Jesus? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Paul says, the gods that your hands have made are no gods at all. That's an offensive message, isn't it? How about the biblical teaching on sexuality? I have close, close family and friends who accuse me of being a bigot, uh, being um, unloving. 
accuse me of hurting many people because I hold this view that we, the, 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 that we ought not to uh, um, act on our homosexual desires? Are we willing to speak the truth of Scripture when it costs us? Actually, on this matter, I want to say that living radically on this matter is not just speaking and voicing the Bible's uh, view on this. It also means acknowledging the pains and the struggles and the sufferings of people who do struggle with this desire because they often struggle with loneliness, sense of unworthiness. It means inviting them to our life, to our homes, and caring for them and loving them so that they do not struggle with these things, that there is a space for them in the church. We need to love radically. And live, living radically also, and the, the fourth way that we've seen, means across national and ethnic political divisions too. This challenge, this is a challenge I think everywhere around the world now with the rise of nationalism. And our political identity or our political views have become part of how we view ourselves. In 2019, as we look back to three years ago, was the beginning of sort of churches, our churches decline in numbers. Uh, and, you know, what happens in Hong Kong is important and we should pay attention and we should have strong opinions on them because future matters, politics matter. But if we're Christian... We're also committed to loving the people who are sitting next to you, no matter their view, no matter that, what, what they think about uh, should happen in the future. We're committed to listening. We're committed to respecting one another. And we're committed to saying, actually, our, our loyalty to Jesus is more important than our race and nationality, even political identity and ideology. You remember John's, Apostle John's, famous words we love because he first loved us and whoever claims to love is uh, love god and yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar friends there will be a time when once again our deeply held views at some point will resurface i don't know what will trigger it it will come up will you love your brothers and sisters when that time comes Will you say our love for Jesus is more important than anything else? Church, live in a way that is radical in all facets of Christian life, in the way that you raise your children, um, in radical in prioritizing God's kingdom, whatever that means, and, and live radically. Not, I mean, if you hold a pro-life uh, choice uh, by considering not just pro-life choice, but considering adoption, fostering, and caring for single mothers. But most of all, live radically in this way by showing grace and love. You know what's amazing here is that uh, Jesus. I mean, Jesus when he was arrested, he turned the other cheek. <laughs> He went to the cross. The Christians who are being persecuted in Ephesus and elsewhere, we don't see them rising up in violence. No, we don't see that, do we? Living radically means loving and showing grace, even at the face of persecution. Live radically by showing grace of Jesus. And that will make you suffer at times. But trust also, that God will deliver you. 
In this previous section, we saw uh, God's great power. Last week, we saw how Paul's handkerchief and apron healed people. (laughs) The things that he touched healed people. What it demonstrated was that God had great power to do great things. You know, and, and when God's people are in trouble in Ephesus, God could demonstrate, can't he, by display of great power, and he can save people. But that's not how God saves here In some ways, God even seems absent. Did you notice in this narrative, second half of 19, no Christian speaks. Demetrius speaks. Alexander speaks. uh, A mob in confusion shouts. uh, And and finally, the, the city clerk speaks. And he's the one who dismisses the crowd. You see, God can accomplish his own purpose, even through people who are opposing him. And the city clerk, actually, once again, is not a Christian. And, and he speaks for the goddess of Artemis. Uh, and that's how uh, God, that's whom God uses to disperse the crowd and protect God's people. Church, we can trust Jesus to deliver us. How can we have confidence that he will deliver us? Well, see the extent to which Jesus went to save us. He went to the cross. He gave his life for us to rescue us. And when he went to his death, he didn't stay there. He pried open death's door. He rose again on the third day. And he promises eternal life to all those who follow him. So Christians, on this New Year's Day, I wish you happiness and prosperity. But much more importantly, I wish that you, that I wish that you would live faithfully. Faithfully in the way of Jesus this year, full of grace in times of suffering and full of trust in the Savior who will rescue us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the confidence that we can have in Jesus and for our salvation in him. We thank you that he is active now and he will be active, uh, Lord, when the time comes when we do face suffering for our faith. And we thank you that he has power even to rescue us from our death. Lord, help us to be faithful in the way of Jesus. Help us to be gracious and loving at the face of persecution. And help us to testify to your goodness in word, in life, and in death. May you receive great glory through our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.